Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. You hear her on Urban View Channel 126 every Sunday. It's the Dr. Robin Show. And joining us is Dr. Robin Smith. Hi. Hello there. How are you? I'm here. I'm here. Tanya's here. We're here. You look hey. lovely. Hey, hi. hello there. Hi, hi, hi. Um, before you came on, a caller called up, and he didn't tell, say all of the things he wanted to say. Uh, but I, I want to address it. He also told, told the call screen that Trump did more for black people than Biden, uh, which he didn't say on these airwaves because it's absolute nonsense. Um, but I want to address the narrative, <laughs> you know, as much like the pan, you know, the, the vaccine narrative, you know, I heard some things from someplace and then I'm going to go over here and repeat it, even though I don't really have my facts. And I've, I heard this somewhere, or I read it somewhere or somebody shared it with me on Facebook. And so I'm going to repeat this or I believe it worse. I believe it. And then I'm going to carry this bone every place that I go uh, mm-hmm. for the record. Donald J. Trump. I mean, we could have this argument. Nixon did more for black people. <laughs> you know, if we want to, you know, be honest, that's actually that's actually a fact. You know, black pastors, churches and businesses benefited greatly under Richard Nixon. But would one say that Richard Nixon was good for this country and good for black people in general? Nixon, whose uh, domestic policy uh, czar Ehrlichman said, let's flood black neighborhoods with drugs and then let's criminalize them. So am I happy that pastors and black businesses got a leg up while entire communities were destroyed under Nixon and Ehrlichman's plan to flood our communities with drugs and then criminalize us and put us in jail? Like we have to be sophisticated enough to not fall for the okie doke and spew one thing and not tell a full picture. Donald Trump gave us a climate that makes it unsafe to be black in America right now. Makes it, un- makes it unsafer. Right, because it was already unsafe. Thank you for that. I was. appreciate that, Dr. Robin. Yeah, made it really, uh, emboldened people to go and be able to become vigilantes, 17-year-olds with guns, not guilty. That's the Donald Trump climate. So whatever mm. benefits you got under Donald Trump financially, if you got a tax break or a tax credit, I'd rather pay taxes than to fear for my life. Me personally, I don't know about you. That's how I feel. No, me. And I, I was going to tell you, I heard you yesterday. See, I don't I don't just listen to you when I'm on. I listen to you when I'm not on. I appreciate that. And of course, of course. Um, and I listen because not only the guests that you have have so much um, to offer, but you, Karen. And how you are challenging all of us to look at ourselves, what we are choosing to believe, even when it makes no sense, is so important. And so I heard you say yesterday, and I was talking to the radio as I was listening to you, because I also feel that, I mean, look, do I want to give my money away? No. Do I want to pay taxes so that other people can eat? and are covered and have health insurance. Absolutely. And so is it, you asked the question yesterday, what happened to the America that there used to be to some extent where people cared about other people? Genuinely, people cared 
not in any fantasy way, but something happened in this country that some of us are in denial about. And it is really important for us to understand that we've lost really the soul of this nation. I mean, we had issues, but there is a, an unapologetic, bodacious arrogance right now about um, arming people, not only with guns, but arming them with misinformation and then calling it true. And that's dangerous. I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Tanya. You want to say something? Oh, okay. Speaking true. Right. Speaking yeah. true. You, you know, um, I, I wanted to talk to you today about grief, because uh, there's been a lot of it, uh, a lot of loss. Uh, I, I came onto the airwaves on Monday with the news that Tiffany Aliche, who's part of our family here, uh, lost her husband uh, tragically, suddenly because of an aneurysm. And, you know, I just recall all of the times we've talked off mic on mic about, you know, the support system that he has provided for her over the years as she mm-hmm. climbed to this multimillionaire status, uh, still on his good, good benefits, you know, and the, the, the partnership that she had with him to lose that partner mm-hmm. during this time of year, but anytime, you know, and so young, uh, I was like, I was devastated for her. And I was like, yeah. I, I wanted to talk to you about that. Like, how do we, provide comfort for people. And, you know, my timeline is full of people with condolences that Tiffany may not ever see, you know? Um, And is that enough? Like, are we, you know, so that's what I wanted you to come on to talk about today. But, you know, in, in that, I think it's all part of a greater thing of, of humanity. Like how, how do we care for one another? Mm -hmm. How do we, you know, in community provide that comfort, that, that love, that support uh, because Mm -hmm. we're all going through, things and at different points of time you know tanya is a death doula she helps people go into the to the next realm you know uh with love and dignity um and and that's true too and i've I've recently um started seeing us as ancestors when we cross over which has helped me tremendously in seeing the cycle of life differently than i've ever seen it before and it's not as tragic and dramatic it's just all right now they're there on the other side still here with us but doing you know doing the work and it and it, that has helped me um but we need we need this we we need to to learn how to love one another better we do and i didn't know about um tiffany's loss and the i mean tragic and sudden uh transition and death of her husband and partner you know it's interesting Karen, when you ask the question, how do we, how do we help her? How do we minister to her? How do we care for her? And you're right, the timeline she may never see, but what's important, and it's so important when there have been, particularly these kind of sudden losses, is to let someone know the thing we don't ever say is I know how you feel. Um, we have no idea. Even when someone else's husband has, or wife or some tragedy suddenly has had, we don't ever know how someone feels. So it's good often 
in terms of how do we minister to her to say, I have no idea Hmm. how you feel. And I feel inept at knowing what to say. But what I can tell you is that I care. I care. I care about something that feels too big to get my brain and my heart and my mind around it, but I care. And so sometimes it is the standing with someone. It is the sitting with them, not talking. And, you know, people sometimes use prayer. I think prayer can be beautiful. It also can be a defense to get away from how helpless I feel. So people will say, did you pray for them? I said, I think what you're asking is, did I go in and, and utter words? No, I did not. I stood there and maybe I wept with them or maybe I held their hand and shook my head. I can't believe this. So if we can begin to be a mirror for someone, mm. it is so comforting. You know, part of how we are injured also as black people is because it feels like we have no mirror. I mean, it just feels like you can't see me and I can't see me and I'm invisible and my life doesn't matter. My, my death doesn't matter. So there is something powerful about seeing someone where they are bearing witness to her story and her pain and just being a mirror. We, my friend, her, one of my closest friends, her son was killed in a motorcycle accident in 2014. And I mean, this, this child, young man, he was two weeks shy of his 25th birthday, uh, was like a son to me. And it was a just, I mean, she saw him and for dinner and thought everything, you know, was going to be fine. He says, mom, um, they didn't live together, but I'm going to drive to the beach. If I'm too tired to drive um, tonight, don't lock your screen door because I, I'll be coming, I'll sleep and I'll go in the morning. And so somebody at four o'clock or so knocked on her door and she said, oh my goodness, I locked the door, the screen door. Um, and it was the police saying that he had been killed um, in this uh, motorcycle accident. But I remember, and I remember getting the call. And again, he's like a, my own child in many ways, but I felt so helpless. Of course I felt helpless. Her son was gone. But I didn't try and protect me or her from how helpless I felt, nor did I try and save the day. You know, what I did is I showed up helpless. Mm -hmm. And I think for Tiffany, that we show up helpless because we are. And if we can see someone physically, you know, I don't know, you, 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 or you send toilet paper or you, you send, you know, paper towels or you, you send flowers, but 
if we can let ourselves be vulnerable and feel useless and know that being a mirror is the gift that someone who is grieving needs and they need it right here, right now. Dr. Robin is here. Uh, 866-801-8255 is the number if you have questions. Of course, she has a show right here on 126, 11 a.m. Eastern, the Dr. Robin Show. Um, As you're talking, I'm also, I'm thinking, I was thinking this too, you know, a lot of what we do is performative. And I'm going to say it, whether we're admitting it to ourselves or not. It's, I, I call them like checklist, you know, it's like a checklist yeah. Christian. All right. All right. This happened. Thoughts and prayers. Check. All right. I sent out condolences. Condolences. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. We have to say something because the world is watching. I can't say nothing uh, or else I'm not a good person. I'm a good person. So I have to say something. So now it's on record. I'm good. Check. I did that. I sent flowers. Check. You know, I sent a card. Check. You know. Just, what, you know, we you know, I, go ahead, Tanya. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I feel like what you were saying, Dr. Robin, about being vulnerable with people and marrying with them is not just for grief. It's for any time there's a problem that we don't know how to solve. Yeah. Every problem that doesn't, we don't know how to solve. We can sit with each other in the helpless, not knowing. I believe that's the most important thing that is when something can move from the other side that we can't think our way into. So we yeah. have to sit in the not knowing and the uncomfortableness of that. And, you know, I spent the two years working with the women who um, had their daughters murdered by the police. And one of the most powerful things, and it's a hard thing to do, but to be able to hold sacred space with somebody when they are hysterical. Yeah. You let somebody be hysterical and just be able to be there so that they know that that's not something is too shameful, that you nobody wants to see them like that, to know that in their most brokenness, there are people who are willing to be with them in that and allow that and honor that. Yes, yes, yes. And that it's not, that they don't need to take care of us. Because so often, you know, someone will try and shut us down. You'll be okay. You don't know that I'll be okay. I don't, nobody knows if I'm gonna be okay. So instead of affirming, you're gonna be okay, Tanya, as you're saying, it is to create this safe and sacred space where the other person doesn't have to do anything except for be who and where they are in that moment. It's the greatest gift we can offer and it is the greatest gift we can receive. 866-801-8255. All right, I guess we're not gonna talk about the checklist then. All right, Tanya. Uh, <laughs> just like bat, get out of here. All right. Well, no, I know think Karen, you know when you know what I'm talking about, about though. Yeah, but I think it's the checklist is all part of that because I think what Tanya was bringing up is that checklist is what we do when we are trying to avoid 
our vulnerability. When we, when I'm in my head about my goodness, I mean, usually that's because I'm trying to avoid how small or how weak I feel. And so that checklist can give me a false um, illusion of me. And if I don't understand that part of being really fully human is to not have a check, to not think that someone's grief can be tended to from my, from my goodness, from my checklist that I've done everything and I've sent the card. And I mean, sometimes, and you know, I will apologize to people uh, because sometimes I don't, I don't quite move in that way for the checklist. So you may not get a card from me. I, I mean, for months, you and don't get actually, it. Until I was going to say, Dr. Robin, that for those of us who've lost people, and that's where I was going to go. And I apologize for yeah. jumping in. No, no, in. no, please. It's, it's months later when you actually, you know, the food and the cards and all of that actually is a burden, you know, to have to suss through in the midst of this, you know, grief. It's months later when you're sitting alone that that card or that flower, that cake or whatever could provide yeah. some some source of comfort absolutely when no when everyone else has abandoned you because it's not fresh in a moment that's mm -hmm. when it you know so well, you're right ahead, and also it is the reminder when it comes months or years later that someone is saying i still remember that your right. life changed on a dime i still remember a year or two later that your whole world got turned upside down. And so there is something about saying, I see you, I still see and remember you. That can be, Karen, as you're saying, not only comforting, but really the bomb that someone needs with ointment uh, of being remembered and seen. And that that is more powerful than all those cards that none of us can remember. And again, nothing wrong with cards that come right now for Tiffany. Um, I mean, that's good, you know, nothing wrong with that, but that's not really what will hold her. I mean, she's in shock right now. And so when we're in shock, we don't know anything really, except for that something is very off and wrong. Right. And it's in the, the days, but really the weeks and the months and the years to come that loss takes on a very different form. And we need someone who can bear, as Tanya was saying, to be with us when the crowds are gone and people think we should have kind of gotten over it or our faith should have been robust enough to carry us through and over, that someone can sit with us quietly where no one knows and we don't get you know any ribbon uh, because no one even knows that we're reaching out to that person. It is that kind of ministry that really matters, particularly when there have been these kinds of sudden losses and tragedies. 
866-801-8255 it's wellness wednesday on the karen hunter show tanya pinkins is here uh dr robin smith is here um i, I am i feel like i'm maturing because uh <laughs> there was a time when i would i might uh engage in the kind of fodder of you know people's lives and and have commentary you know recently whether it's wendy williams I, that would be something that i would have something to say about and I've, you know, chosen to not engage because I know that there's deep pain there and I'm not adding and contributing to it. And there's no no freedom for us in doing so. Uh, I remember Stevie uh, franchise, they call him Steve Francis, the basketball player, NBA player uh, who would, you know, you would see him and he'd look like a mess. You know, he would be at these NBA events. He would drink in a lot and look very unhealthy and there'd be commentary and very little commentary about what's the matter. You know, a lot of commentary about the alcoholism and the drug abuse and all of this, but not really that he's having a mental health crisis. So he's recently talked about it. Um, and he, he stopped playing in the NBA back in 2008. Many believe way too soon. Um, and I didn't know until I, I read this story and I heard his voice. He's now 44 years old that he lost his mother at 18 years old hmm. and then he went into college and that was going to be his path out of the hood, out of the ghetto to become a millionaire, to become famous and successful. And he said, I didn't even have a chance to grieve because I'm now on this trajectory to go and become an NBA star, which he did. He became an NBA star. I have a, uh, some audio I want you to listen to, 866-801-8255. Play the second clip, Charles. Regardless of what you might have heard, somebody helped me go to rehab. Nah, I didn't do any of that. Um, I found a counselor, um, someone who I could just talk to about my real problems, not the sugar-coated stuff like, oh, we're going to send them off. The... No, nah, I didn't need none of that. I just needed to really talk to somebody. And it wasn't about drinking, so it was more the scars of my childhood that I'd explain, that I never had the outlet to let anybody know. Because the questions that they were asking me, it was some questions that I had bottled up that I never had a chance to to look back. Because when my mom passed and I went to college, there was zero grieving for me at 18. It was off to San Jacinto Junior College. And in that journey to uh, get out of poverty and be the best basketball player in the world. That's when it began. So from all that suppression, at 22, I became a millionaire. And when basketball died, all of that stuff kind of came back. The divorce was right there. All of it came back. So four four deaths in one that I was dealing with. Um, I don't know what day it was. Um, have I been sober, like not drink or smoke? No, I, have, I probably drank four or five times. Um, Recently, probably like two years, I haven't touched a drink. Um, but uh, every day you have to, you know, think about it. Like, hey, you could be in that dark place. Um, but I think a lot of the depression and stress was the reason why I try to completely numb myself. And like I said, I'm one of the blessed athletes to come out that I don't have to tell that I'm broke story. Mm. Mm. Your thoughts, Dr. Robin? It's not the alcohol. Never the drugs, mm. right? No, 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 it's never. And that's, I mean, what a courageous prophet mm -hmm. um, who, whose life and his suffering not only 
could be used to help him. But I'm hoping right now that your audience is hearing the truth that he just delivered, which is that we don't just get over things and time doesn't just heal all wounds. Time can make things worse if they've go if the wound has gone unattended for years, it doesn't just magically like, oh, a year or two or 20. No, 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 has passed until we address what's happening. And we don't know often, as he said, he was 18, he's a child. Oh. At 18, his mother dies and he swept away. And I, I'm, I'm struck by him talking about his climb out of poverty. So this was his climb out of the streets. I mean, he's 18, his mother dies, and he's going to make something of himself. And by 22, he's a millionaire. But what it doesn't, money cannot buy your pain away. And drinks can't do it. And, you know, whatever, I mean, sex and all the ways that people self-medicate, we have to understand self-medication. I'm medicating because something hurts. And so often we don't have environments talking about death. Well, this is also true for him. If we don't have a place to express what is true, like I hurt or I feel lost or I'm supposed to be grown and supposed to be excited and supposed to be fill in the blank about an MBA career, but I feel lost. I and feel like person, I need my mother. And the person I did it for and wanted to give it to isn't even here. Like, what's yeah. the point of me doing this when I can't give it to them? They can't see it. What's the point? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so if there is no place for that to be shared, and, you know, my hope and my, not just my hope, the work that I do in the world is to create safe places and platforms for the truth to be owned and acknowledged so we can be free. Mm. And there's so much bottling up and so much dressing up and so much, you know, smoothing over that we really are, we're so sick. We are so sick. You know, the, the quote I've said on your show before and on my own that we're only, and it's one of the quotes that they use in recovery, we're only as sick as our secrets. Mm. So the secret is not the drink or the, the line of coke that I'm doing. The secret is that I'm hurting. Yes. Yes. That's my secret. It's not the addiction. That's my secret. It's why I am using or drinking or drugging or sexing or doing all of it. It's because I hurt. Are uh, you ready to take some calls? Absolutely. She, she was lecturing me, y'all, during the break about taking care of myself. I appreciate you. I hear you. I hear you. You know. And, 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 not, and not lecturing. And I'm serious. But being a real support 
I mean, saying I again, saying I hear you and I see you instead of, oh, okay, well, you know, do you know, take something and this is to say, uh-uh, like I see you and I hear you, and I'm a mirror right now. That it's a lot. You need, I mean, you have a lot going on, and your own self-care is what has to be prioritized. Because that that's what true. we're telling people to do here. You know what, though? Let, let's let's say you are irreplaceable. You know what? Yes. I am. I am Tanya. But let me just say this, you know, and I uh, I was I contemplated not being on these airwaves because who the hell's on the radio? Uh, <laughs> coming off a double D replacement. What is wrong with me? And I was like, OK, you know, um, and it's not that, you know, people depend on me to blah, 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 blah. You know, there there is something therapeutic about being on these airwaves at the same time. Very draining. You're right. Um, and you know, there's a business to, you know, but the business won't be here if I'm not here. I, I do. I, you know, I've totally, I totally intellectually understand, which is why Saturday in class, I'm like, Michael Harriet, tap in. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, let's go. Let's go. Y'all gonna have to tap in and do these things. Um, no meetings. We're not meeting. We're not doing any of that. I have to focus. I'm got to take a nap. I'm tired. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and I'm okay. I'm okay. Cause I, I know that I'm a human being. I'm human. I'm not, you know, I'm not even trying to be tough. I'm not even sitting here with an S on my chest and like, Oh, I'm coming in. I'm doing this. This is, this is a whole ass grind that I probably shouldn't day. have done on a good day with everything being good. Um, and I probably shouldn't have done it, but I'm here now. So I'm just going to go suck it up. I just want to say you're not alone in like feeling like, you know, I'm going to do it and I'm going to take it. When I gave birth to my first child at, I guess I was 25, I birthed him at home about three o'clock in the morning. I had a job that was booked for 9 a.m. I went. What? You went to your nine, eight, six hours later, you went to work. What were you thinking? Well, my ancestors had to keep picking cotton. See how we are, right? My ancestors yeah. had to, they didn't, they didn't have a break. So exactly. What the right. hell? <laughs> and no, what, we what, do tell ourselves those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was it? What was the consequence for that? Tanya, what was, what was the consequence for you that? You know, I was exhausted. I had been in labor for 26 hours and pushed for six hours. So I did the job and then they had to have me come back and do it again. They had sympathy for me because I, I had just given birth. <laughs> well, I had to come back and do the job again. But anyway, I thought, well, you know. Girl. So, you know, yeah, part of that is, is the way in which we as women and Black women uh, make not only do we have work on our plate, but we will make even more work for ourselves and call it all kinds of things. We can call it discipline. We can call it love. We can call it gratitude. Um, but a lot of this really is not having had examples of what it really looks like to take care of ourselves. Mm. Mm -hmm. We really haven't seen that. I, I don't care who we came from and whether our families had resources or didn't have. Black women prioritizing our own self-care is simply something that is missing from most of our equations. We're just beginning to learn what that might mean, what that might might look like. It's it is really it is a foreign concept 
not for us to talk about, but for us to live. Mm-hmm. Facts. All right, let's go to the phones. Dr. Robin dropping all kind of wisdom. Tony, and I, I've got defensive, so I apologize for that, but I'm like, you know, it's too late. I'm here now. All right, Tony in North Carolina, welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Hey, Tony. Tony, come on. North Carolina, <laughs> let's go. Mama's patience is short. All right, we're going to move on to the other Tony in Philly. Tony in Philly, Philadelphia. Welcome to the hey, Karen Hunter Show. Hi. Thank you very much. Uh, first time caller, long time listener. Uh, right. Truly appreciate the conversation that's taking place. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, today, I hope you uh, speedy recovery for you. Um, my son was murdered. It's been eight years, mm, six months, and two days. And mm. one of the things that has been the most difficult, and initially, um, and I heard uh, Dr. Smith speaking about it and Tanya speaking about it as well, in regards to the shock. Initially, it was shock. That first week, from the from the Thursday that he died to the Thursday of of his home going. I ran around with everybody trying to uh, appease his friends, my family. Um, I was newly married 10 months and single father prior to remarrying. And I was looking after everybody else. My daughter had just lost the only one that she had lived with her whole life at that point of 12 years. Um, When me and her mother separated, she was with her for a minute. Then they were back with me. And I did that for the whole week, completely in shock. We moved from Maryland back to Philly, where I'm from. Um, And the moment we moved back, the moment we moved back and actually moved in, it hit me like a ton of bricks that the reason for my living since he was born, because he was, he was my goal. He was, I did everything to show him what a man does, how a man gets back up when going, when falling or whatever. He was my reason for doing all that. So I lost my motivation. And in that moment, I realized that when I lost it, I was stuck. And everybody that was around prior to that was there from the moment they heard and they sent the flowers and they sent the cards, when it was all said and done, I was by myself. And the night seemed, it seemed as if night lasted for years. Um, and it, was, it, it truly has been a very difficult scenario, very difficult. But I, I was fortunate that I did have a mirror. Because my family, most of my family suffered the same loss I did. But there is a young man that I befriended that became a brother to me, a little brother to me for 30 years. I met him when I met that ex-wife because um, uh, he was right next door. And I befriended him. He ended up being that mirror for me. When I needed to yell and just sat there and let me do just that when he was able to be around. He called me every day for a year. And even if I didn't want to talk, he would just sit on the phone while he was at work and say nothing. If I was silent, mm. he was silent. If I laughed, he laughed. If I was angry, he just listened. And that mirror is necessary. And for anybody mm. that's dealing with somebody that's, that's dealing with grief, I would say this. No, you don't know what it is. Because I've had people call me um, having lost a child to suicide. I've had people call me because they feel as though because I went through it, that I know what I'm dealing with. Or I know I can help them through it. And they're surprised. I can do is just sit there. They're surprised when all I do is just sit there. Um, because I, I don't, I don't know what you're feeling. I don't know that feeling. Um, and it mm-hmm. is, it is truly, truly incredible to hear what's being said right now, because I know what, I know how long it's been down to the minute. Because for me, I just got to a point that I, I'll be, I can live for one day to the next, 
for seven mm-hmm. years, it was just, I was in the moment. It was from one, one moment to the next. I was just existing. I've just gotten back to the point of actually living life again, looking to be mm-hmm. progressive in life again. I've just gotten back to that point. And my family has always looked to me. And so, you know, for anybody dealing with, with what, I'm, what it is I'm mentioning right now, if you know somebody, the best thing you can do is what Dr. Smith said is be that mirror. The best thing you can do is just be this. Don't try to fix it because trying to fix it might actually hurt it. And there's some mm-hmm. people that have told me, you know what, Tom, um, uh, this is something that can be done or this is something that you can do. But before they say that, they say, I don't know what I would do if I was you. I have no idea what that feels like. But then you try to fix me. If you don't know what you would do, why are you going to try to give me advice right now? Just mm-hmm. let me be where I'm at. I'm going to come out of it because I'm still here. For whatever the reason, the good Lord still has me here. But don't try to fix me right now. Just let me be where I'm at. So I just, I, I, I truly, again, I've been a long-time listener. You're the reason I started I listening to Urban View. Uh, once I found you was from Philly and whatnot, we lived in the same neighborhood. I used to live in West Oakley. Um, I'm like, oh, wow, okay. Like, she, she's a Philly girl. Love it. Um, so I, I started listening to you not long after he died, actually, to be honest with you. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm truly grateful. Again, speedy recovery to you. I thank all you ladies for what you do on a daily basis, and I truly appreciate this conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you for being so honest and authentic about your mm-hmm. process. Thank you. Tony, yeah, um, it's, it's powerful. I mean, this is, again, Karen, why your platform is so essential. And now the platform you've shared with me is so essential because this is how we begin to heal. It's not what lives in me or you or Tanya. It is that we put something out for other people to consider. And then we have a brother like Tony call and say, this is my story. This is my song, you know, like this is where I've gotten stuck. And, and I love the challenge that he put before us and before anyone, which is, I love when he, you said, you know, Tony, don't, people are saying, I don't know what I'd do if I were you. And then in the next got breath, advice, right? Right. They have advice and they're trying to fix you. And so it is a beautiful reminder from someone directly whose son was um, killed and whose heart was shattered that we need a mirror. And I, I want to say that we were talking about Women of the Movement, which is the series that I'm in um, about um, Mamie Till, who had her child murdered and then, um, you know, stood up to everybody, risked her life, her family's life. And I said to Karen earlier that I think that this miniseries is going to be this generation's roots mm. because Marissa Jo Sarar wrote that in. There is a six minute scene and she told me that she said we couldn't cut it. After all the trials and all the stuff and all the, you know, thinking something's gonna change, something's gonna be different. There is a six minute scene of just, let's just watch somebody finally grieve. I can't wait to watch it. That's January 6th of all dates which I think is appropriate. You know, the day that America's democracy broke, uh, perhaps we can start healing and fixing, watching something that may break something in us. And sometimes breaks are good because they heal back stronger. 
Absolutely. Women of the Movement, Tanya Pinkin stars in it uh, as Mamie Till's mom. She plays her mom. Um, everything mm. that I'm hearing is, is an amazing performance. Um, amazing. Wow. And I, I mean, can't. who even thought about Wait. Mamie Till's mom? You know, like, and now you well, bring her to life. No, Marissa didn't want to do a true crime story. She wanted to do, uh, uh, to tell this story from the mother's point of view. And that Mamie was so young, she was 33. And in many ways, she and, and Emmett were her mother's children. You know, Emmett lived with her mother and she lived with her mother. And so this moment was when she had to become a woman and a mother. And so that's the way Marissa wanted to tell this story. Mm, beautiful. All right, let's go back to the phones. Uh, Janice or Janice in North Carolina, welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Hi. Hi, Karen. Oh, I'm so glad to speak with you. <laughs> I have tried to get you many years to your long time, but I'm not going to take up a lot of time. Um, today has been bad for me. I'm strange that I got in my car this evening, and you're on, and you're talking about grief. Karen, last, um, last August, 10th, I lost my son. He was killed. He was murdered. He was 27. He shot him in the head twice. Oh. That was August the 10th. At that time, my dad was, was passing away. Um, and me and my dad are born on the same day, so our birthday was August the 16th. And I, I, him and my mom, they were still together 63 years. And on the 16th was our birthday. And we celebrated our birthday with my dad. He had all time so we could not tell him that his first grandchild had passed away in the gun On the 21st, I buried my son. We went home from the, from the graveyard. My dad died after we passed. So you talk about grief. I don't even know. I, I, I'm just numb. And there's the holiday. And I've been in tears all day. I'm just numb. And, and it's just so sad. Thank you but, for you know, sharing. And, and, Dr. Robert. Oh, no, no. And I, I, you know, thank you, um, for your courage. And I hear that you say you're numb, but right now you're not. And that's where your tears are. Right now, you can feel yourself. You can feel your loss. You can feel your son and your father. You can feel right now. And I think numbness often comes when we don't have a mirror. We have to just check out because there's nobody to to hold us, as Tanya was saying. And so I, I just want to encourage you during this holiday time, which is hard for people um, anyway, not just with deaths, but with the fantasy of what a holiday is supposed to be. And then with deaths and murders and and loss on top of that it feels unbearable and what and so it is unbearable let me say that it is unbearable so what you need and what i need is someone who will be a mirror to say to us 
it feels too heavy because it is too heavy. And as the last caller said, do we go on? Usually we do, but we go on with more softness when someone has allowed us to fall apart. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.